Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Morales, and thank you for joining me to episode two, season two of Gendom Sessions Live podcast. Um, hope everyone's having a good day, a good night, good evening, or whatever time zone you're listening on this from. Um, so I'm happy to announce that my guest today is Robert A. Kazi. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. Awesome. So how are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Can't complain. You know, this for us has been a really pivotal year for writers in particular because we've been given the gift of time to create. So that's what I'm remembering in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. I think with this um, craziness, at at least from my life, I felt like it's shown me my own true colors, I guess, Mm. where I was able to see what it is and actually write about it, if that makes sense. Yes, makes total sense. So, um, so we'll just get right to the first question, I guess, is like, so how did this all start for you as far as writing? Like, was, was it something you did recently? Was it something you did your entire life? Did somebody inspire you to write? Like, how, how does this all start for you? Well, I, I started a really long time ago. I can remember back in fifth grade, really feeling like um, I was a writer in some sort of way in a fifth grade mind uh, because we did a lot of creative writing that year and I began to win some prizes for it. And so I knew it was something that I enjoyed and I always enjoyed books and reading. And then it wasn't until I was in junior high school and I had a teacher for English who told me I was a writer and said that I needed to keep writing and I should keep a journal. So I started writing in a journal when I was 14 and I still write in a journal. So my entire life is written down. So I've, I've always been a writer. However, I didn't start putting my works out there publicly until uh, 2011. I started to enter some poetry contests and got published in some compilation books because of the contest. And then my debut uh, book, Tidepool Awards, was released in 2013. So I was relatively late to the game, so to speak, because I was in my 50s when my first book was released. Uh, so it took me a lot of years to write beyond the confines of my journal and be brave enough to share them. But you're never too young or never too old to no. like do something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely at the end of the day, not. you're still young at heart no matter what. Yeah. And it's good. That's awesome, though. Um, I had a similar experience where like when I was in I started writing in junior high school and I don't know what it was exactly. But for me, it was like I just started writing. I know my dad used to write a lot Mm -hmm. and somehow it just transferred on me. And I just started writing, 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 writing. And I've shown my work to certain teachers. They're like, yo, keep writing as well. Definitely, definitely. So um, how did it feel to like when you first that, that, that first accomplishment, the poetry contest? Tell me about it. Well, it was a surprise to me because I just sort of blindly sent in some poems to various contests. And then when I made it to the semifinal round, it guaranteed uh, you uh, publication. They guaranteed you publication in their compilation. So I was just very excited about that. I wasn't expecting anything. And like yourself, I mean, my, my mom was a writer. And so I grew up around writing and my mom had a very successful uh, weekly column in the local newspaper that had a big cult following. And she was famous in our area of New Jersey. And she was even published in the New York times a few times just by blindly sending in articles, which is pretty amazing. So my mom was an incredible writer. So I had that already. But um, it felt incredible to finally see my words in print. And then I started to believe more and more that maybe there was something to this. And I started sharing more online, on Facebook. And that was how I got my first publishing deal because my publisher, really small independent publisher, but he saw one of my poems I had written after Hurricane Sandy on Facebook. And he was like a friend of a friend on Facebook. That's how he was able to see the post. And he contacted me and said, you know, I really love this poem. Do you do you have others? Have you ever thought about putting together a book? Because I'd be interested in reading more. And I kind of laughed and I said, well, 
I have so many things that I can send you. You could probably wallpaper your entire house with my poetry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, to the, ca- you know, so, so to the casual <clears throat> listener, right. Yeah. Explain to them. Oh, I, I don't know if this happens to you, but I know it happens to a lot of people. How difficult is it to get your work out there? It's not difficult at all. I don't think, um, especially now, because you've got Instagram, we're both fixtures on Instagram, and you can put your work out there. Instagram is very uh, welcoming to artists, and uh, you could do it via Facebook, you could do it on a blog. Um, it's, I think it's much easier to get your work out now than when I was in my 20s, because there, right. there was no internet. There wasn't anything you had to enter contests, you know, and that was really the only way to get your work out. Now you can have a YouTube channel. Um, and actually my, my whole jump from my journal to outside my journal began with the early days of YouTube because I had a YouTube channel and I used to talk about the singers and songwriters I had come across on YouTube, the undiscovered ones. And I used to do these videos kind of talking about their, their songs because music is a huge influence on me too. And I'm a huge music lover. And me too, me too. So I was doing that. And then I started to just lightly start sharing my poetry with a very select audience. I used to do private videos and send it out to about 20 of my friends in this circle of other artists uh, and all these friendships that I'd made on YouTube. And they all were encouraging me to start posting publicly. So, and then I started posting publicly and ironically in the five books that I have so far, three of the books, three of the forwards were written by my YouTube friends from those early days of 2005 ish. And uh, so it's a testament to how you can bond with other artists on these platforms. So I think it's relatively easy now. I think you need a lot of luck on your side though. The right person needs to see your work in order to get the really big deals. But if, if you're consistent about how you write and how you post and uh, if you're authentic, then I think the sky's the limit. I agree with that definitely, and I and I was to say too, where um, to add on, I guess to add on to your point is not just putting yourself out there, but engaging because I think mm-hmm. engaging with your audience and engaging yes. with people that comment on your stuff, even if they like it, hey, thank you for the like, uh, what you think of it, you know. But that's a good way to engage, and I think for me I, that's definitely true because I was able to engage with other poets and other you know people just like yourself. Yeah. That, you know, we can, and the fact that we're you know what it's too? Because it's like with this platform, this inspired me to want to do a podcast. I had a first season when I had a team. And then when I decided, you know, I'm going to bring them back with this, I'll do it myself. Because I don't have a community page team anymore. It's just, you know what? I'll just do it my way and that's it. Yeah. And now you and I, here we are talking, you know. And it's just how crazy it is because, you know, I, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And, and I live in Bayonne, New Jersey. And you're in Jersey. Yes. It's so crazy. Like how, like it's such a big world, but really social media makes the world so small. Yes, it does. You know, and a lot of my poetry is so New York based because I spent a lot of time in the city because I grew up in Westfield and we were just a train ride out of the city. And I live, I've lived elsewhere, but when I moved back to New Jersey in 96, one of the biggest reasons I moved back was I missed New York city. I missed it because there's no city like New York in the entire world. And I needed that back. But readers will find New York all over my poetry. And, and speaking of, you know, the followers and the readers, I love my audience because many of them have been with me since the first book. And they're still with me. Nice. And the other interesting thing about my readers is that I was shocked after the first book and we got the demographics back from the sale and everything that, that my readers are 18 to 34 is like, the the main demographic and I'm much older than that and I found that so interesting and that's still true to this day that my readers are a lot younger than I am and but isn't that beautiful it though? Is. Like, I love it I absolutely love it because there's such a wonderful energy from uh people that age and their view of the world I love and uh you know I I assembled an anthology this year and everybody is younger than I am in the anthology and many of them are people in their 20s getting ready to launch their debut books. And 
it wow. was it was such an incredible experience uh, to assemble them all. And they didn't know one another. I was the only common denominator. I just I reached out to people that I admired. I'd, I'd been familiar with their work, a little bit familiar with them as people, but not a whole lot. And just sort of went with my gut. So, you know, I, I think getting back to, you know, engaging and everything, I'm very, very, uh, very, uh, I, I spend a lot of time communicating with the readers. Uh, I'm easy to get in touch with. They can message me, they could email me. And I love getting messages from them. And I love hearing what they love what they don't love, um, everything in between. And they're very honest with me and I'm very honest with them. So I really love the relationship. That's amazing. That's definitely beautiful. And I was going to ask also, um, how much does that mean to you? Like how important is that? It's everything. It's absolutely everything because, you know, I've, I've had some luck, you know, I've won some book awards and things like that, but none of them compare to the messages I get from readers. If I get a message from a reader saying that a poem of mine changed their life or it touched them a certain way or they reminded them of something they'd long forgotten, then that means everything. That means so much more to me than anything else. And that's and that's beautiful because again, it's like, yeah, I could write, I could write something, okay, cool, you like it, that's great. But the fact that you're able to leave a lasting impact yes. that it's like when they look back, they're like, yeah, I remember that guy. Yes. Even when I commented on him on his page, he came back and he, he commented back, we engaged, but the, cause you want, cause it's easy to leave behind some writing, but I believe in the power of legacy. When you leave something like that behind, mm -hmm. they'll remember you not just for your writing, but for your honesty, for your, yes. For your, you know, for your humbleness, your for for everything that you stand for, you know, and the fact that people can remember you by not just that one thing, but by a whole bunch of yes. things, you know, and that that's a very beautiful thing. And I can't say that a lot of people these days have that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's artists, you know. I mean, artists could be, you know, whether it's acting or whatever, you know. Because I'll give an example, and it sucks, but um, I'll give an example of this. Um, this one poet, um, Elise Cowan, she was um, one of the people of the Beat Generation yes. era, but a lot of people don't remember her. A lot of people don't really know who she is because she never was given the opportunity to really put her work out there due to um, Allen Ginsberg. And, the, you know, it's just so many factors. But it wasn't until years, years, years later, um, I think it was named Leo Skirt. Mm -hmm. He finally put her work out there, but like, oh, how come we never knew that? But see, but, the, but like, like the writings were so good, but we don't know a lot about yeah. her. Because um, unfortunately, she uh, completed suicide, unfortunately, mm -hmm. due to like her environment and stuff like that. But it just comes to show like, because as it goes back to what I'm saying, like you could do all this, but then, oh, this is awesome. But I don't know who she is. I, I, we don't know a lot about yeah. her because of the unfortunate circumstances, you know? So the only legacy we probably know her for is her poetry but we don't know how much of an impact it had right. in that generation. Right. So, you know, I guess same thing goes here. In your case, I believe even after I'm long gone, you're we're all long gone, but this is something to look back at and say, wow, like, but I remember this guy. Mm -hmm. I remember this guy did this and he did that, you know? He was so kind and all this other stuff, you know? So with all that being said, um, do you want to read a piece? Sure. You know, give give the audience an example of, of how you sure, write. I'd love to. And before I do that, though, I just wanted to comment on what you just said, because legacy is huge. And and I, don't, I can't think of anything more beautiful than leaving behind your written words. And that's one of the things we get to do as writers is we get to leave that behind. And with the hopes that somebody will pick up something that we've written, one of our books or see a poem that we wrote and be affected a hundred years from now. And I can't think of anything more beautiful than that. And I absolutely, again, love how intimate my relationship is with my readers, because I, again, I wouldn't want it any other way because I, I know so many of them love by that. first name. They've been at my book signings. Um, I've become friends with some of them and it's, it's a really cool, intimate relationship and I've I've gotten so much better because of them, because and I was gonna because they no no go ahead because I'm, I'm they sorry. they they weigh in and they're not afraid to weigh in on on everything on everything you know and I love that.
Um, one thing I was gonna say too. It's it's funny. You not I I gotta stop saying it's funny. It's not that it's funny. It's it's interesting. It's it's I guess it's interesting in a beautiful way that it's like I look at younger generations because I'm 35, yeah. you know, so I'm I'm still growing. I guess as a man. Of course, know? of course. I remember but, um, 35. 35 was a great oh, time. But, uh, that was I loved my 30s. And and I gotta say where um. Uh, what was I gonna? Oh yeah. So it's interesting because I've met so many people in the Instagram poetry community, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting to me how a lot of the people that are younger than myself has had it just just as bad as me, or they had it worse than me. But the fact that I can relate in some way that we could talk about that because when I was growing up, you know, if I was telling like the stuff we're talking mm-hmm. about now, there was no way that someone older than me when I was like 20 or 19 or whatever, I couldn't have these conversations with someone mm. older than me, let's say for my, like my father or teachers and that were older than me. Anyone that was around my dad's age, you know, when I was growing up and we couldn't have conversations like that. We couldn't talk about, you know, Hey, the birds and the bees. And we couldn't talk about, you know, Hey, I'm dealing with depression. Like, be there for me type thing like you know all the mental health stuff that now people are more open mm-hmm. to i couldn't talk about that kind of stuff with my family you know or, or anyone i knew that was older than i was and it's just good to know that okay finally at least that aspect has changed yes. so much you know and just seeing it through people's writings like i'll give you um an example of um a few poets I met, they're only 15, 16 years old, but they're writing like they're 20, 30 years old. I'm like, wait, you're only 15? Oh my yeah. God. Like, you know, because I was always told, oh, well, you're too young. You'll never understand and and, and be quiet. You know, because I've been told no. I've been told what to do. I've been put down. I've been shut down, all this other stuff. And it's good to know that, okay, at least the older generation don't look at the younger generation like as if, oh, you're so young, you don't know. Yeah. Like that's changing Definitely. and that's changed a Definitely. lot. Definitely. Like, like that, the, the generation coming up now, they're the ones who give me the hope because no other, gener- yes, no other generation has gotten it right. My generation didn't get it right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm 57 years old and I can look at the the generation coming up now and they're passionate they're unified they're smart they're energetic and i'm putting everything all my hope in them to get things changed and that's and that's beautiful because like think about it imagine if we were doing this years earlier let's say early 2000s they would think we were pedophiles or something Mm -hmm. you know like that's how it was how the mind was back then Oh, you're 50. Why are you talking to my child? He's only 70. You know, like they always get the wrong yeah. idea. And I feel like the, the platform today has given us the opportunity to grow because um, I grew up around 1950s Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. Like my, my father was straight yeah. up, you know, like the campos, like yeah. so those people, yeah. you know, back in those days. And very old school, like it's just what it was. He was basically black yeah. and white. So the fact that he was always the one telling me, you know, and I know it wasn't out of disrespect or anything like that. It's just, you know, I didn't understand at the time, but you know, the fact that again, like we, we can, I could look back at that. Okay. That's, that's amazing that that can change, but like the whole aspect of, wow, we're able to express mm-hmm. in that such profound way, you know? And it's like, Oh, and like you said about generations, that's true. Cause even, I mean, I'm, I'm 35. I don't know if I'm considered a, type of generation but i'll say when i was growing up people around my age i don't think got it right either until yeah. after the fact because the kids today right right um if you the majority of them that are there their parents are around our age range yeah. really you know what i'm saying like i i know kids like i know people who have kids that are like 17 18 years old right now but like that like and, and they would talk about the life experience their parents have, but the fact that they're able to understand. But back when I was growing up, I, I can tell you my father's life story, but he'll probably look at me like, you know, God bless his soul. Oh, well, you know, I mean, it wasn't, you know, like they'll try to change it up to them, make them feel a certain type of way. But now it's different. It's more open. Mm-hmm. It's more raw. And that's such a beautiful it thing, is. you know? It is. Totally. Totally is. All right. So you'd like me to read a poem? Okay. Yes. Here we go. This is uh, from the anthology that I assembled that I mentioned before. It's called Perspective to Pen. 
And we are donating 100% of the proceeds to Amnesty International since we're a worldwide group of poets. So that's one cool thing about this nice. anthology. And this is a poem from the anthology that's in my chapter called The Sound Heard Above the City. It okay. takes a moment for you to look up from the book you are reading. You are seated at a small stained glass table in this intimate outdoor cafe. An array of emotion fills your face before you stand up with your inherent grace. You still have a swimmer's build, but your eyes are not as blue. They seem to have faded gently like a memory. Your hair is no longer tousled and bleached from the sun. It has matured into a darker, more conservative looking blonde. When you come to me, we embrace. A grimace of happiness cracks my mouth as a veil of your aroma envelops me, bringing back the feeling, not just the memory of the years we spent together. Inside this embrace, I can feel the sand of Folly Beach and smell the ocean air and remember what it was like to be so completely loved by you. But once you pull away, I hear my heart crack above the sounds of the city. Wow. Wow. I love that. I love the imagery with that. Oh my goodness. Can you read that line about the smell sure. of the ocean? Can I, can you read? Sure. Yes. Inside this embrace, I can feel the sand of Folly Beach and smell the ocean air and remember what it was like to be so completely loved by you. But once you pull away, I hear my heart crack above the sounds of the city. I, I love that. Like, talk to me about that mm. piece. Like, what, what inspired piece? And, like, like were, were you mm-hmm. at a place like oh, that? Was, or just This was like, New York City vibes. So this was New York City. And I fell in love when I was in my early 20s. And my first love and I, we were together all through our 20s. So 10 years. And the only reason we broke up was both of our careers were taking off. I'm in the hotel business. I've been in the hotel business for 30 plus years. So I'm a hotel guy. Um, and my career was taking me, uh, in one direction and his career was taking him in another direction and neither one of us wanted the other one to compromise. And so we decided that we try to stay together, but then the long distance thing after about a month, we just said, this isn't fair to either one of us. So we, you know, we ended things. And then this was written about. Three years later, uh, the first time I'd seen him in person after we had broken up and he had come up to New York. And so this was that whole scene. And this is exactly how it felt. Wow. And yeah, so um, this is a real, real experience. And uh, the thing about my poetry is that I don't embellish because I kept a journal. This is why I'm so um, insistent when I get the ear of a young writer that they need to journal and they need to write down their life because that's where you can draw the greatest inspiration from your own experiences. And you want those intimate details of everything. And I was able to go back to my journal entry and, and remember that it was a stained glass table and all these little tiny details, which are lovely to put into the poem to make the imagery nice and crisp for the reader, because I want the reader to feel like they're there with me. Wow. So, so that's where that wow. came from. That's awesome, man. I, it really is. And it's funny because as as you're reading that, I was thinking about because you know I, I'm yeah. originally from New York myself, and um, because I'll say this: the atmosphere of New York compared to like your time and my like you yeah. know me growing up, it's changed a yeah, it lot. Has. Actually, it's not. I feel like the old New York has long gone, and this is the new yeah. New York. And I used to go to this pier on, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this part of Brooklyn, Williamsburg, um, uh-huh. Bedford Avenue yeah. and North 7. There's like a, there's like a pier, you go up North 7 to I think White Street or something like that. There's like a whole pier thing. And I remember when it first opened up because me and a friend of mine went to a concert that they did. Um, they had, um, I think it was 2009, I believe. And I remember, th- this is when four local the beer mm-hmm. first came to New York. I think originally this was this is from Florida or yeah. something like that. And I remember going to a concert. They were doing these series of concerts. Stone Temple Pilots just happened to be there. And I actually remember going to this concert 
but it's just so crazy when I first came in, you know, just going to that area, it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. I remember that night too, after I was done, I said, let me go to the pier and just hang out there. And I was just so in love with the city view of Manhattan. Yeah. Like you can see it so wide open like that. But it's so crazy because when I was growing up, that area was vacancy. It was just industrial. Like you couldn't even walk in that area. Yeah. And it's so crazy how mm. it's changed so dramatically, yeah. you know? Now, and we talk about New York, like, what actually was it about New York that you fell in love with? I mean, I guess for me, because I've always yeah. lived in New York and then I moved into New Jersey now, um, I'm, I guess I could say I'm host, I'm homesick to a point where, okay, like, like I'll go visit, but I, I know I, I would never live there again. I, I don't, I never want to live in New York again because of the chaos I went through, but because there's a lot of things that I still love about New York, even though it's like a love-hate mm, relationship. Yeah, that it makes does. Sense. It does. You know, for me, New York just has a certain energy. Like, I feel very inspired yes. when I'm in New York. I feel wildly creative. I feel like there's a story around every corner. Uh, I don't know. It's just there's there's so much going on, and I just need to be there. And... Uh, for all the artistic stuff, for all the performing arts, I mean, for everything and for the sports, because uh, I'm a big sports fan too. And, and for the concerts and I don't know, it's like, it has everything. And I just always feel really energized in the city and I love the city and I've never lived there. Uh, I did go to NYU for grad school so I was into the in and out of the city every day while I was at NYU. And that was probably the most time I spent. But I grew up going into the city with my family. We always went in to see shows, um, just to go in to have dinner. We used to go into, I'm half Italian, so we used to go into Little Italy quite a bit. And I loved all that. We used okay. to go in for San Gennaro. So. Oh, me oh, San Gennaro <laughs> me, my is wife no is joke. For those of you who don't know, yes. the San Gennaro Festival, <laughs> you eat your way from one end of the block to the other, and it's it's amazing. It's so amazing. And Yes. That's one of those places you got to oh fast God, the night yeah. before. Make sure you and then you're full like, for two days <laughs> because, you know, I'm eating all the zapples oh, and, and, you know, all the fried dough, you know. The Zeppeli and, uh, yes. and all that, you know, I mean, oh, the sausage and the meatballs and I, it's, it's just, it's overload. And uh, so I loved all, I love all that about New York, you know, and it's, it's funny because the piece I just read to you, our mutual friend, Hiro, that's one of his favorites of mine. Like he loves that. And we okay. became friends because he'd seen some of my pieces because we have a mutual poet friend and he was like, okay, he has, a lot of New York in his poetry. I need to talk to this guy. <laughs> and so I have New York to thank for my friendship <laughs> now, my close friendship with Hiro. So, so New York keeps yes. giving to me. New York keeps and, um, giving to me. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I, I remember a while back when the pandemic first started, I, I would say maybe two months in, I remember I did like a live where I was just exploring because I haven't been in New York yeah. in such a long time. It's, you know, because the, the reason why I would go is to see my mother. Cause mm. My mom still lives in Brooklyn, even though I'm trying to like, my mom, get out of this public yeah. housing, please. Like, but, you know, it is what it is. And as I'm walking, all right, let me walk around New York. And then I'll, I say, you know, what, let me go to Manhattan and I'll walk from Manhattan to Brooklyn because my mom mm -hmm. still lives in Williamsburg. So I said, I'll walk. It's a good walk. I needed to walk that day. And I remember doing a live, but like just looking around, like, wow, how so much has changed. Yeah. This thing happened, right? Because everything was shut down. Even yeah. churches were shut down at that time. And I'm just like, wait, this is not Crazy. the same New York. Like when I walked through, because I used to. Because I took the bus, I think, from Hoboken okay. to Times Square. That's why I took the, the, the 126 bus. I said, I'll walk through it. It was a nice day. And I think my wife was at her mom's house at the time. I said, you know, let me, let me, uh, let me walk. And I remember just walking around, like, just straight. So I went up the numbers, down the numbers. So I went from 8th Avenue all the way to 5th Avenue. Because I used to work at 5th Avenue by the Trump Tower. Okay. I used to work across the street, actually, before. I started working at my previous job. And as I'm, you know, walking, 
it's so crazy. Like, it's not the same, right? Because even though there was people, there was so little people. Yeah. I'm like, wait, Times Square was never like this. Fifth Avenue was never like this. Like, as I'm going down the numbers, I'm like, I'm just so, like, in awe, as in, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. But in such, um, I was just mesmerized how civilization yeah. changed from, from that time. Because Times Square, if you're if, if, if people, if you're from New York, you know Times Square is not an no. easy place to walk around. And the fact that I was able to stretch my balls and like stretch my arms, <laughs> and I was able to just walk, and I'm like, oh my god, like yeah. And that never was here? the case before, never. <laughs> no matter what time of day you were in Times no Square, way right. You could be there at three in the oh, morning. Yeah. There were still people because I used to work. I used to work. I did security in Times Square too. I used to work at the Broadway because uh-huh. I know Broadway and Seven they intertwine. Once you hit like the mid forties, and that area, I can leave at four or five o'clock in the morning from work sometimes, and there was still people hanging out. I was like, yo, it wasn't as crowded, but it was still crowded, you know, for that time of night. I'm just like, oh my god, yeah. like what's going on here? And one thing I will give to New York, and I noticed that. I'm not saying that Jersey doesn't have, but I think New York is very well known for this. Every block you go to yes. is a different civilization. You go to Fifth yep. Avenue, it's a different civilization. You go to Eighth Avenue, yep. it's a whole yep. different thing. Multiple vibes. And then you go, and then, yes, because Fifth Avenue, if you go up to 50, yeah. it's oh, all yeah. bougie, it's all luxury, retail. But then once you hit like 40s and down, it's it's different, right? Because you either get a hipster vibe, a ghetto vibe, or you get yeah. a little bit of yeah. both worlds. Because my wife, too, was also in the hotel business herself. She used to work at different hotels. She mm-hmm. worked at the Radisson, which is on by Herald Square. She worked at the Doubletree. She's worked at the Evelyn Hotel, which was by the Sex Museum. And that's a different yeah. civilization my, itself, too, because I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? Because yeah. I never went straight down fit that until she started where I said let me walk straight down see what's going on and every block it was always changing but I like the fact that it doesn't just change instantly it's like yeah, it gradually it. changes within and it's like I don't know if I can get that anywhere else because if I go to Hoboken it's, it's, the same. it's like it's nothing really changes yeah I, and it's interesting because i mean maybe one or two things are slightly different but for the most part yeah. it's exactly the same thing and i'm just like okay that's yeah what they it's about so me. true <laughs> so true and that's why there's no city like new york i'm sorry there isn't there is yes yes yeah because i've been oh, to chicago it's too and it's like it's, not the same. Like, it's it's a yeah it's like it's like a I feel like it's a poorer version of New York. It's like they're trying to be no, like New not York, even but they close. Just can't. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not even close. They don't know how to do their pizza is ridiculous. I can't. As an Italian, I can't. Oh my god, I can't. Like, I can't. Oh my goodness. Speaking of pizza, I went to a pizza shop with one of my friends, right? And I kid you not, I'm eating pizza like I normally eat pizza, and they look at me like. I think I went, did I go to Uno's or, you know, I think I went to Uno's over there or something like that. And they had the deep dish pizza. They had, they even had, there they actually had like regular slices. So I said, let me just get a regular slice at the time because yeah. I, I wasn't that hungry. Typically I would get a deep dish. I would get, I would get a whole bunch of stuff and I'm eating the pizza. Like I normally, and they're looking at me like I'm weird. I'm like, what the, why is everyone looking at me weird? Like, and then the waiters are, oh, I take it. You're not from here. I'm like, wait, what? Like you're from New York, right? I'm like, wait. What? Like, how do you know I'm from New York? Oh, because we don't eat pizza like this. I'm like, yeah, what? Like, it was just yeah. so weird. I've, I've never experienced that. I say, it's hey, bizarre. I hope you enjoy your food. It's bizarre. You know, like, I used they... to work for Hyatt Hotels, and our corporate office was in Chicago. And so, yeah, I had some experience with Chicago dining. <laughs> and I, I couldn't do the Oh, Italian my stuff God. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I am so I am so New York when it comes to that. Yes, yeah. yes, I definitely do. And I, I'll, I'll give Jersey oh, credit yeah. well, though, because New Jersey, well, New though, Jersey, New York, some very stuff. similar. I mean, especially like the part of Jersey I'm from. You know, like my town in Westfield. Most of the people in Westfield worked in New York, so like we had New York vibes okay. throughout. 
and so yeah i mean uh, the the food uh, the cuisine is very similar to the city and you know so so yeah jersey I, jersey gets props and connecticut gets props too because it bleeds into connecticut see right but the thing is i've never been everywhere in connecticut well, so i don't know too much about connecticut i can I've only to, like, i can only speak for like westchester area mm-hmm. uh, i don't know what happens beyond westchester okay. honestly I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea. I mean, <laughs> years ago, I looked at UConn as a college, uh, but that was like the, the farthest I went into the state, I think. And then we used to drive through Connecticut, which seems like seems like it uh, seemed like it took like 40 days and 40 nights to drive through Connecticut when we used to go to Cape Cod on vacation, because as kids, it was like <laughs> the longest state to drive through. And I remember that about it. I've oh, heard horrible. That. I've heard kid. that. Like, yeah, I've heard because my parents that. used to drug us with Dramamine without us knowing. <laughs> like they would give us Dramamine in our orange juice in the morning, <laughs> and my sister and I, for years, didn't know why we were so sleepy in the car. And then, but it would take us. We would oh be asleep until um, we were like halfway through Connecticut, and we used to have these suction cup pillows that could go on the back windows. Uh, in the back seat and we would put our heads down and we'd be knocked out. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I remember about. Connecticut. Wow. I think Connecticut has some decent New York flavor too, you know, depending on where you go in the state, but I can only speak for Westchester. I know Westchester cool. does because we had a hotel in Westchester and they had good stuff around there. So I can, I can say definitively that Westchester knows, knows what's up, but I can't say about anyone else. See, like I, I only, I, I've been to. I'll say this: I've been to Stanford, Connecticut, but that's only because, okay, like for those who know me very well, I'm a very wrestling fanatic, and WWE oh. headquarters is in Stanford, so I've actually seen the glass Titan Power thing. I was like, oh god, mm-hmm. it's not as big as they make it look. And then when I saw it from, afar, I was like, oh, it's not even that tall. The, the way they made it look, yeah. in, the, in like their videos, I'm like, wait, it's not even a tall building, mm. but it's so long. But so made out of glass. And I was like, uh, okay, this was it. Okay, I'm out of here. Like, I don't know. I just found it to be weird. But definitely, like, where I'm at, I'm in Bayonne. And it's interesting because it's suburban, right? But then there's yeah, a little bit yeah, of definitely. city life there. So some aspects somewhat reminds me yeah. of New York, but not really. But when it comes to Italian food, and uh, for anyone that's listening, if you're from anywhere in New Jersey, I definitely recommend check out Pizza Masters and um, San Vito's. They have the the best of the best Italian mm-hmm. food you could ever have because they look like a pizza shop, but then when you go in, it's yeah. like, oh snap, so restaurant, holy those crap. Are the real, like, those insane. are the real deal. And, it's and so we have good real bagels in New Jersey and New York too. <laughs> because I was horrified. I went to college <laughs> down in Virginia at James Madison and my sister went to college okay. in Virginia too. And she was at law school at Richmond at the same time I was at JMU. And before we left for school, each one of us took a dozen bagels back with us and we would stick them in the freezer as soon as we got back to school. Oh, and we would, we would eat them gradually and maybe they would last us through the first couple of weeks of the semester because we were in such bagel withdrawal because in Virginia, you couldn't get bagels. And the same thing when I lived in Baltimore, Maryland, you couldn't get bagels. When I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, you really couldn't get bagels down there. And so that was another thing. When I came back to Jersey, oh, I was like, yes, I can finally have a good bagel. Yeah, you know a what? proper bagel. None of this Dunkin' Donut style bagel that people call a bagel. Donut bagel. Oh, or that, Yeah, I don't want a bootleg trash. bagel. I want a straight up bagel. <laughs> Like, don't give me a bootleg bagel and yes. tell me it's a bagel. You know, I want a bagel. And and I felt it when I was in Virginia. And then I felt it when I lived elsewhere. So those are other things, too, that you can't get outside of our area. You just can't. You can't. This is true. This is true. And speaking of it, I, I love bagels. I love mm, everything too. bagel with cream cheese and bacon. Oh my God. Like in, in if you're in Williamsburg one day in Brooklyn, mm. there's a spot called the Bagel Smith. Oh my God. They have every type mm. of bagel, every type of cheese you can think of, but it's insane. Like they make it and it's like 
You see, they make a fresh batch. Uh, or when they're hot, Boom, bread, when they're everything. hot, Andy, it's forget so it. You don't have to put anything on yes. it. I could just eat it. Like when it's hot and the smell of it, you know, I think yes. we both need to write companion bagel poems at this point because I'm sure the listeners are like, what yeah. are they talking about? <laughs> this is a poetry show. And they're going on about New York fives yes. and pizza <laughs> and food and bagels and. I know you don't know the you struggle, don't know the struggle until, until you've lived elsewhere, <laughs> and you know, and also like my diet these yes. days, I don't need any bread, but I do reserve the right to have a bagel. If there's a fresh bagel within my grasp, I will have a bagel. Um, but but yeah, it's it's out of yes. my daily diet. Yes. I mean, oh, I used to eat a bagel every morning. You know, it was just what I did. Um, but oh now when God. I have it, it's an extreme treat, and I appreciate it even more. I have to say. Uh, so I think that's the is. best form it of is. comfort food out there. I mean, I love mm-hmm. fries, but nothing, nothing's like a bagel. Mm-hmm. And you have to I know you can't side. go wrong. You absolutely can't go wrong. Oh my God. Definitely. So, um, I know you talked about your book. So, um, I'm going to read a piece from a book, um, right here, a perspective to pen and in the anthology, oh. there's a piece that you actually wrote. So, uh, I'm going to read it, and then you can sure. talk to me about this piece right here, all right? So it's called Those Silent okay. Ones, Destined to Speak. The weight of all your unspoken words must be unbearable. Your voices deserve to be heard, and we are not stopping until they are all set free. We know that this obstacle appears insurmountable, but just remember this. Everything that is silent is destined to explode. So, once your voices have been unleashed, tell the story of who you are and what you love. Refuse to be erased. Yes. It matters. You matter. Well, that was one uh, of the poems in the introduction part of the book because each poet, each one of us, wrote a poem for amnesty with the amnesty theme, with human rights, obviously, being the theme because that was the cause we all collectively decided that we wanted to donate towards because of the worldwide important work that they do. And this poem of mine was really speaking about all the people in the world whose voices are silenced and don't have the opportunity and the freedom that we have and how once they are free, how they should talk as much as they can about everything because it matters it matters they need to be heard and so it's it's sort of a battle cry to the people who have been silenced and wherever they live oh man no i hear you and it's so interesting because i feel like this country has oh, yeah. it so easier than any Me any too. other place in, this, in, in the world right and i I said this to a friend of mine months ago. Like we was just having a conversation about, you know, just just general. We were walking around, and um, you know, we I said, oh, let, me, let me go. Uh, we we no, we went to Hoboken Beach just because I saw like our spot not to hang out because he lives upstate now, so he comes visit me from time to time. So we were just talking about our time when we used to live in New York and all this stuff. And he was saying how when he went to go see his mother, who lives in New York as well, he came back. He was just saying, oh yeah, I was in the city. And I saw a Muslim just, you know, praying, right? And then his whole thing is, damn, but but we're Christians and yet we don't even do that publicly. Like we're so ashamed to talk about that, right? But then he said, But look how many people everywhere else mm-hmm. don't even have that. If you go to China, they can't even worship Jesus. Mm-hmm. They have to go to these private underground churches because of being afraid to even talk about God. Like if mm-hmm. you have a Bible in your hand, your hands get chopped off. Like that's how it is in, in China. And it's like and all these other third world countries. And it's just like, uh, like it's so sad because even they have a testimony yeah, and they can't even share it. You know? And I feel like one important aspect of, of being, having this freedom is we that do. we take it we for granted sometimes. Do, you know, because in a lot of places, you know, the places you mentioned and even more, um, you're not free to express your beliefs, uh, what you feel. You can't speak out against the government without being uh, put into jail or worse or killed. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's really important that 
um, we support organizations like Amnesty because they they do work and they they help free some of the people and and help get some of their rights um, and they also help people who have been imprisoned uh, wrongly and you know I mean it's it's just there's so much of it going on all over the world beyond just not having the basic rights but people who are thrown into prison for no good reason other than just being themselves or a practicing of faith or anything really that that goes against what has been defined as unacceptable behavior which in our world is a very basic thing you know being able to get up and go to a church is a very basic thing for us you know, and you could go to any church you right. want. You know, you could be a different denomination and go. You're welcome. You know, um, we could walk into a mosque and be welcome here in America, you know, but in other countries, not so much, you know. And so it it is sobering when you think about it. Yes, yes. And it's interesting, too, because I remember I think I, I remember saying that earlier, too, about my my childhood where I wasn't yeah. even allowed to express my emotion. Like, unfortunately, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not stereotyping anyone, but I, I can say for not all the time, but the majority yeah. of the times, especially like if you're my age, you know, the yes. cultural Hispanic of a certain time, your yes. emotions were not really allowed because. But whatever they were going through, like our parents went through things that they weren't even allowed to talk about. And then for us to try to explain this to our parents, it's yeah. like, because my father was not open at all. Like he was very private. That's just what it was. My mom was a little bit more colorful, like, but, but even something she wouldn't really, like she always should have quoted some things because it was just whatever. And the fact that, you know, I wasn't allowed to express, like our mm. my emotions were not allowed. I wasn't allowed to express. I wasn't allowed to have a temper tantrum. Like if I even talk back to my parents now, yeah. I mean, back, back then I would have got smacked in the face. Like that's just how I grew up. And it's interesting as time has, you know, as I got older, I got a little bit wiser and stuff like that. But it's like, wait, but now I have the freedom to talk about yeah. these things when I didn't have that freedom before. And I just hope that whoever goes through that same exact thing, if I, I don't know if people still go through this stuff, but it's just, I love the fact that we meet people younger yes. than us that have yes. that freedom and they're using it for good. Whether you write negative stuff or not, even if it's demonic, which, but the fact that you're using that to some degree to express something, because I'm yeah. pretty sure at home you could even express something like that. You know I mean? I don't know if that was like that for you, but I know for me that's how it was. And the fact that I could really, wow, I, I could actually talk about this now because I had it so bottled in inside. Yeah, I've been to therapy. Um, like I've been to psychiatric therapy. I've been hospitalized. Mm. You know, I, one time in my life I was suicidal. Now I'm not. At one point I was, you know, and, and I've had some experiences where, you know, I should have been dead. Mm. I'm not, you know, I, 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 I used to drink. I was an alcoholic. I used to do a lot of drugs, you know, and it was just like, and I thought mm. my life was going to be over. I just didn't like my life anymore. But once, at least for me, when I came to the yeah. board, I saw a different perspective of life. I saw the beauty in life that I'm like, wow, it was there the whole time and I couldn't embrace I missed out on that at that time. Mm, but now that's I'm beautiful. Not I mean now. What a revelation. And uh I think it goes back to what you said before when I was talking about coming into the writing game so late. It's never too late to start your life and to to live a beautiful life and to uh, realize your own self worth and why you're here. You know, and and I think there's a lot of power in our pen because, you know, you were talking about expressing and and how the younger people now um, are able to do that. And I'm familiar with um, the whole Latino culture because um, one of my longest relationships was with a Puerto Rican <laughs> um, guy and we were together a really long time. So I knew the family very, very well. And he was also brought up in a household where he couldn't express his emotions and it was very difficult for him uh, to go through that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially it's, in that Puerto Rican culture. Cause I, 
I remember because you know, if you tell my dad, yeah, oh yeah, I'm gay. Hell no, like that wasn't complicated. And I'll give you this: when my sister, uh, my sister, my father had a fallout, mm. and they were they didn't, they didn't speak for nine years, and he had a certain view of life that, unfortunately, at a certain time, okay, it's not like that anymore. Like he wanted my sister to get married mm-hmm. first, then have a family, walking down the aisle. But you know, obviously, that didn't happen. But it yeah. was just like. He took it so long, and I, I, I get like, and and it just caused them nine years of just silence. But it just comes to show like that, like like it's so crazy how now, you know. I, I, wait, okay, see now. I bring <laughs> well, now, now it seems like it seems <laughs> like people are um, having more conversation within the household than years before, and like even with Ricardo's yes. family, um, his dad has come a long way long way long way because after ricardo came out um they had a meeting of the minds and um they became very very close and i don't don't think they really had a close bond before that um and so it was it was was really really nice to see that because i know that he struggled because of that and uh so yeah i was pretty aware of that and i was saved from that because even though i grew up in an italian household I mean, my dad is 100% Italian, but my dad was a sensitive guy. He was strong, too. Like, he wasn't afraid to push you up against the wall if he needed to. But he also was sensitive. He wasn't yeah, afraid my, to cry. Yeah, my dad was. A- and <laughs> so I grew up with that as an example. So I was very lucky. Uh, and and he was very sensitive to mm-hmm. what my mom wanted. And they got married in the late 1950s and my mom always wanted to go to college and my mom grew up in a very traditional Irish Catholic family, very conservative where my grandfather said, well, if you want to go to college, you could be a nurse or a teacher, or if you don't want to go to college, you can you go to convent and become a nun. That's what women can do. And my mom's like, well, I don't want to do any of those things. So I'm just going to get a job and I'll take some college classes when I can afford it. And then when she met my dad, she explained to my dad, my dream is to go to college. He goes, okay. And he supported that. And very few Italian men at that in that era would have done that. You know, so I, I was really lucky to have my dad because I didn't have um, the struggle that Ricardo had or that you had, you know, with not being able to express emotion and being told right. to man up and all this other nonsense. And uh, when you just want to cry or you just want to scream or you want to express anything. And I was always able to express myself. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. Yeah. Like with me, like I had to do all that in private because like, yeah, like I had an older brother, I had an older sister, but like mm. there were like six to five years difference between each other. So like, I'm not going to understand that. They're not going to understand yeah. me because I'm the young. They're going to look at me like, oh, you're just a kid. But like, you know, and, and, and the way I always looked at life, and even to this day, I believe in this, is the fact that I would never, just because you're younger than me, I would never look at you like, oh, there's no way you can teach me about things. I've had people yeah. younger oh, than me that too. taught me, me things. Me too. You know, like, and, wow. and, you know, speaking that, of this anthology, right. Perspective to Pen, our youngest poet is only 18 years old. And he and I have been friends since he was 16. And I look at him as a peer. He's a writing peer. You know, he, he is, he's an even better writer wow. than I am. And and he's 18 years old. I mean, it's crazy. Oh, wow. The wisdom coming from the young pens, you know, coming out of the young pens. And so I think age yeah. is is a non-issue when it comes to art, because I don't think age has anything to do with it. I yeah, agree. they can say, oh, well, you know, I am older, so I've had more experience. And maybe that is true. I've had more life experience. But um, I don't I don't underestimate any of the young writers because they have a view of the world now that is unlike any other. And some of my favorite um, poets yes. are young. Um, you know, one of my favorite poetry books that I purchased um, over the last couple of months is from a young poet who lives in Lebanon. And I think he was 16 years old when he post when he published this book. And he's a little older now. I think he's he might be around 20 years old. I don't even know. I need to ask him because we're supposed to do an Instagram live together at some point soon. And I can't wait for that uh, because I'm such a huge fan of his, like gigantic fan. I think he's he's such a talented writer. 
So, you know, you just never know. And so I don't even look at age when it comes to art and when it comes to poetry and writing, because it doesn't mean a damn thing as far as I'm concerned. Amen. Amen. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, So Um, I'll go back to the anthology or maybe I'll read something. I'll read something brand new. How about that? This is from my journal and it's called Disappearing Into You. And here it is. We step outside as David Bowie's Let's Dance blares through the speakers, drowning out the sounds of the city. It is raining lightly and we huddle under the entrance of Rebecca's apartment building. You prop an elbow against the arched wooden door. I watch you run your hand through your perfect messy hair. The overhead light illuminates you like an Italian museum exhibit. To these eyes, you are the New York version of the statue David. You take out a lighter and flick it no fewer than a dozen times before it catches a flame. You light your joint and shoot me a look that should scare me more than it does. The idea of a tryst with no permanence is a new approach for me, but I have a desire that needs to be satiated. I am drunk and my eyes are slightly out of focus, but I see that desire lives in your shadow light. It penetrates the corner of my consciousness, spilling onto the pavement where you stand. The silence hangs between us as you skillfully level me with your eyes. Your touch eases onto my flesh. It is surprisingly soft and balanced, rippling like waves in my veins as I disappear into you. Wow, I like that. What is what inspired that piece? Well, it was 1980s and it was New York. <laughs> <laughs> and I was young, you know, and it's funny because this situation, I've always been a long-term relationship guy. Like I've never done like the one night stand thing except for this Me time. either. <laughs> and and I remember being on the train on the way home and being I was I I remember feeling like almost like a drug addict who just got their fix and is coming down off the high because that's how Mm -hmm. low I felt. I felt so empty. I felt like there was, it was absent and void of any love and it was just the act itself. And it wasn't anything more than that. And it left me feeling uh, disappointed and just hollow. And I didn't like that feeling. And I had this revelation when I was relatively young. I was in my 20s. And I decided I was never going to do that again. I never did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so, deep, man. So it was, you know, it was just, it was one of these parties. And it was actually in Brooklyn. Because um, Rebecca lived in Brooklyn. And uh, it was at her house, her apartment, this party. And it was late. And... Yeah, and it happened, and and I remember thinking I don't ever want to be put in this situation again, you know. And uh, I'm doing myself a disservice, and that's not the way I love because I love really hard. And yeah, I'm I'm the same way, brother. Trust me, I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah, so it's like that's the only kind of love I really understand, and and I can't have it any other way. So I'm an all or nothing guy. I'm either all in or all out. No, I hear you. Yeah. I definitely hear you on that. It may, no, it's true because, you know, like, I can't just like, like, for example, like I've had women, you know, like I, I in college like, that wanted to have sex with me, but I'm the kind of guy like, like in order for me to do that, like you would have to be like my girlfriend or something yeah. like that. I yeah. can't just like, yeah. because you know, one thing I've learned, you don't know what kind of energy you're feeding your soul. You know, no. there's like all these no. things that people don't understand that. That's why like, like, cause I used to be addicted to pornography before I came to the Lord. And I look back now, I'm like, damn, but people just give it out just like that. Like, really? Yeah. It's, but it's like, I'm thinking in my head, like, do they go through things? Like, it, it's just, just like, I don't understand. Like, it's so crazy. And it, let's put it this way. They do a lot of, like, disgusting things. I'm just like, oh my God, I used to watch this crap. Like, oh my God. And they just give it out so freely. Like, like, it's like, there's no way. It, this is no, this can't be just normal like that. It's crazy to me. Well, I think because again, like, I think it's important for everyone to realize how things affect us, how things affect you personally, and that's what you pay attention to. Like I always say, your gut is right. Follow your gut instinct. And my gut was telling, was screaming, like this is not right for you. 
yeah this is not oh right God. for you so i think everyone's gut is slightly different that's why you see people doing different things but your gut obviously was telling you something very similar too like i can't i can't carry on like this this isn't right for me and even the way that you conducted yourself uh you know with um dating and and uh you know committing to somebody before you would cross that threshold you know, it's uh, I think it just is a matter of of how it makes us feel. And I just remember feeling like this is something that uh, uh-uh, I don't ever want to feel again. No, I hear you on that. And I remember it, like even whether it was that or if I did drugs or whatever, yeah. like I know that 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 ho- when you said that hollow feeling, yeah. like I felt empty, I felt dirty. Yeah. Like, I felt like I was just a piece of wrapper on the floor. Yeah, that that people just step all over and I just didn't care. Like I didn't feel anything because you mm. step on a paper that people, that paper doesn't feel nothing. Yeah. It's just a piece of paper yeah. that came from a tree that probably had life. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm getting all, I'm getting all crazy here, but it's just, you know, that, that hollowed feeling, mm. like it's, it's not an easy feeling to overcome. I'm not saying it's not possible. It, it's, it's just difficult, you know? And it's, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard, man. And it was the only time I was ever with somebody I didn't kiss. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so that to me was like really strange. Um, the whole thing was strange, you know, but um, again, I'm thankful for the experience though, because it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. Yes. It taught me a lot, See, you know? And so I look at that and that was a great thing because I think it saved me from, from making some bad decisions later in life. And uh, I'll never forget that one. And I finally wrote about it, you know, all these years later. That's awesome. I finally wrote about it. I don't know why I wrote about it the other day. Um, I don't really know why. I mean, it, you know, I mean, that was a great David Bowie song. Let's Dance was a great song and it was all over the city um, in the 80s. Yes. All over the city. Oh, man. David Bowie's, That man. was the vibe. That, that's, that's a... That was the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> that was the vibe of the 80s. Like, David Bowie, that record, the Let's Dance. I remember in college, um, my roommate got a brand new stereo just so he could blast that song. Nice. Just so he could blast that song at a keg party. You know, like, he got... <laughs> I can't remember that. Nah. Who has keg parties I anymore? Like, like, we used to have those. You know, it was... I lived off campus um, after my sophomore year. And we lived, like, literally one street off campus. But we were still off campus. It was called University Court. That was the nickname of the street. Because it was all oh, wow. university kids living in these townhouses. But we had a pool and you weren't allowed to have beer in the pool. So we used to roll the keg on the other side of the fence. And then you would just lean over the fence and grab your beer <laughs> from the keg. Oh, my goodness. That's so I, that's funny, <laughs> but it's so awesome at the same time. Like, oh, my God. And we were safe. We were safe. We weren't having glass or anything. We all had like the 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 red cups, red and yellow cups. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we were safe by the oh, pool. God. You know, we kept a guy on one another. We were relatively slumped. Through it. It made sense. It made sense. Why not? Let, let's <laughs> who are we kidding, right? <laughs> oh my God, man. But um Robert, thank you so much yeah, thank for you. doing this episode with me. Um so I wanna wrap it up here. Do you have any final words, any final thoughts? Um, well, anyone out there, when you grab a perspective to pen it's also a donation to amnesty so remember that it's a great gift to give somebody and it's available everywhere 11 other poets from instagram in here and we're from america the netherlands the uk and uh here in america i said that already i guess i said that already um and uh we range in age from 18 to my age so you get a lot of different perspectives in here and uh and yeah and i just want to thank you again for having me on it was great to talk to you um it was great to reminisce about new york i miss the city so much i can't wait until i can get back in there hopefully this pandemic once it's over the vaccines and stuff like that i mean i don't know i'm still if about it i'm just waiting when i hear good stuff about it then maybe i'll I'll take the vaccine i don't yeah yeah i don't i I don't know we'll we'll see but uh I hope that I hope that everything comes back soon. 
you know, I have a... But let's be honest, but I don't think it's going to come back the way exactly no. how it was. It'll be a new type of normal. Like, even if we no longer wear the mask, but, you know, I feel like paranoia is going to be a big oh, yeah. time higher. Yeah, yeah, was. I think so. I think so. And things will things will open, but it'll be gradual. It'll be... Uh, and and I think a lot of the new policies and, and new behaviors uh, will be implemented and 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 abided oh, by absolutely. you know and 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 people will follow them because they don't want to take a step back and no, i think absolutely. i think it'll just be different i'm not sure we'll ever see a new york new year's eve in times square like we were accustomed to ever again with people on top of one oh. another i don't know if we'll ever see that nah. again yeah, it's it, it's crazy though, but I, I think to me this was definitely a blessing because I got to see a different perspective, you know, you know, of the world, and you know, I saw it from a different eye. I yeah. guess you can say, you know, and it's taught me so much about myself. Oh, me too. You know? Me so, too. I like mean... I realized the other big revelation I'll leave you with is I realized that when I meet somebody, I don't introduce myself that I'm a hotel manager. I tell them I'm a writer. Because I realized that this year, that that's what defines me, that I spent my life doing what I love second best. You know, so that's that's a big thing that happened this year is that I lead with that now uh, because I was given this gift of time and I've done some of my best writing this year. And so I'll never, ever um, look at that the same way. And I'm so thankful for that, even even amid this pandemic and everything else that I'm very thankful that I got to realize that because I don't know if I ever would have realized that if not for, for 2020. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And, and that's beautiful, man. That's such mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. And it, I, I agree with you on that as well. Even for my life, I, I definitely agree with you on that, man. Cause it helped me appreciate my yes. life more than ever in yes. this entire life existence, you know? So definitely. So brother, thank you so much for thank doing you, this Andy. episode with me. Thank you so much for your love, you know, for your heart you man, and may the Lord continue to bless you and just keep you, you safe, man. And um, we should definitely do yes. one of these again soon. Man, yes. yes, definitely. Cause this was one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've ever been on. And I've been on a bunch uh so this was nice, this nice. was like talking to an old friend and i like my and also awesome. a like mind which is which is quite pleasant you know because we both share a lot of the same passions um so that 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 definitely uh helps things along no thank you so much brother so you god too. bless and um everybody thank you for listening and we'll see you soon for episode three